Hey everybody, it's your boy Buzz from Bulls on Tap and Socks on Tap, brought to you by ontapsportsnet.com. And I want to talk to you about something. These podcasts are now presented by Manscaped. If you're looking for the best manscaping products on the planet, go to manscaped.com and browse their awesome selection. The Lawnmower 3.0 brings you 7,000 RPMs of skin safe technology so you don't nick your balls or any other sensitive areas. Want to keep your boys fresh all day? No problem. Go and pick up the ball toner and deodorant so you're fresh all day long. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code ONTAP to get 20% off and free shipping and handling on all your manscaping needs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an off-season edition of Socks on Tap. It's been a while. This is Tony Marchese. I'm here with NWI Steve. Steve, how have you been holding up? Hey, yo, Tone. I'm doing well. Uh, A couple days after Thanksgiving here, I think, you know, the significant caloric surplus that I had on Thursday is starting to dissipate a little bit here, and I feel like my metabolism and my internal organs are starting to return back to normal, so that's a good thing. That is good. I, I, I'm glad to hear that. It's been a weird Thanksgiving for most people. We're still uh, we're still dealing with this COVID-19 thing, Steve. Hopefully everybody in your family has been healthy. I know everybody around here has been for the most part. Uh, we've had, uh, we've had a, a few scares but uh, nothing too serious around my around my area. But uh, yeah, I think everybody. I, I hope everyone who listens to the show had a good, happy Thanksgiving, um, and they're healthy. Uh, that's pretty much all we can say for that. But Steve, it's good to be back on the mic talking about White Sox baseball. We haven't done this in about a month. We apologize for the for the break, but uh, we're back and we've got a ton to talk about. Steve, what's what's first on the agenda here? All right. Well, you know, Tone, I think that the the first thing that we really got to talk about is we've had some finalizations and some additions to the White Sox coaching staff under new manager Tony La Russa. Um, Eric Kratz has been added as the new pitching coach within the organization, replacing Don Cooper. So this will be the first new pitching coach hire for the White Sox since 2003. So it's been a long time coming here for a new voice to come in to lead the pitchers. And then Miguel Cairo will now serve as Tony LaRusso's right-hand man as the bench coach. And, you know, Cairo is certainly a name that I was not anticipating, someone that was not necessarily on my radar to fill that bench coach position here. But, you know, what are are your thoughts on these hires? You know, I really like the Cats hire. I I also did not have Cairo on my radar at all. Um, I'll be honest, didn't even hear of this guy up until he was brought up. Uh, when the White Sox hired him, I uh, had to go back and do a little research on him. But I like the hires. Uh, it seems like the White Sox organization, for as much flack as they've gotten uh, for the old school La Russa hire, 
um, have certainly supplemented that with some some up and coming names that are going to be very interesting to see what their effect on uh, just the the team as a whole. Um, you're going from Don Cooper, uh, like you said, been there since 2003. It's going to be an interesting view into the White Sox dugout when they pan down and Don Cooper's not sitting in it. I think that's going to that's going to be different for everybody who's watching this team. Uh, he's just been a staple in the organization for so long. Um, I'd like to see what kind of effect he has on some of these young pitchers. I'm actually surprised that this move wasn't made a few years ago um, when the rebuild was taking place. I thought that would have been a logical time uh, when Ricky Renteria was was named manager to probably move on from Don Cooper. Uh, but uh, here we are. Um, things have, have turned the corner here. Uh, for the White Sox uh, coaching staff, uh, and we'll, we'll see what kind of effect that has. Steve, I think you've got a, a little bit more uh, experience with this in, in your pitching days. What, what kind of effect do you think a new pitching coach is going to have on the staff? You know, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch because from my own personal experience, and as you know, many of our listeners know, I was a very low-level scrub situational left-handed pitcher. Um, so not exactly apples to apples from a comparison standpoint, but, you know, a lot of times working with a different pitching coach and someone that you haven't worked with previously, they can articulate a message in a different way than you're accustomed to. And sometimes that articulation can help to unlock something that you had underlying beneath and, and can really help to bring out some performance improvements that weren't there previously. And I think we saw this obviously from Lucas Giolito famously two years ago, who worked with Kratz. Um, and I, it's interesting to see, you know, how this message could be articulated across the entire White Sox organization and, and some of the pitchers that are currently on the major league staff and some guys at the minor league level here, getting to hear some different concepts and really some new modern concepts from from the pitching standpoint because Kratz you know has spent time um in in the Seattle Mariners organization and most recently with the San Francisco Giants working under Farhan Zaidi uh, Giants have really turned into a very progressive organization using a lot of data and a lot of analytics and so bringing in a a new era pitching coach like that that was really something that I was really looking forward to uh, w- with the White Sox over the last couple of years. And and one interesting thing, um, you know, Kratz actually worked with Brian Bannister uh, recently here with the San Francisco Giants, who was a guy that I was actually targeting to be the Sox next pitching coach. And, you know, Bannister really is a guy that caught my eye uh, two summers ago when I read the MVP machine just for his philosophy and his overall approach of constantly evolving and needing to find new ways and, and a new competitive advantage within this marketplace. Uh, Bannister, you know, famously said that in baseball and really, and this is something that's applicable to a lot of different areas of life, you find a competitive advantage. You have that competitive advantage for maybe a year or two before the rest of your industry starts to incorporate that advantage into their philosophy and their overall approach. And so now you have to be continually evolving looking for that next thing that's going to give you a competitive advantage. So to bring in a guy in in that from that type of environment here, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with this pitching staff. And, um, you know, one guy in particular that I know is kind of a hot button topic right now, Dylan Cease, 
you know, is he going to be part of this team? Does he have, you know, what kind of role does he have with this team going forward here? Um, you know, to see, you know, Kratz come in here and, and work with him and see if he is the guy that can really unlock that potential from Dylan Cease. This is going to be fascinating to watch here in, in the coming months. Well, you know, another name that I want to throw out there too, Steve, is a guy in Reynaldo Lopez as well who needs some adjustments made. Um, I'm not quite sure if the Don Cooper firing was just, you know, Rick Hahn trying to send a message across the coaching staff, knowing that they were going to bring in somebody like Tony Larusa and that Don Cooper and Tony weren't going to get along, or if the the reason that Don Cooper is no longer with the organization is we've actually turned this page where the White Sox are going to do this thing that you were just talking about and trying to find competitive advantages. Because I feel like that's something the White Sox have done fairly poorly over the last decade, if not longer. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? I think that's an understatement to say the least. Um, You know, this organization has seemingly been very stuck in their ways and and, in their processes with how they evaluate talent and how they try to teach and develop talent, both at the minor league and major league levels. I, you know, have famously been joking for a while now that Don Cooper's basic philosophy and how he approaches um, trying to develop pitchers is, okay, um, you know, stand tall, stay on the backside, throw a cutter, let's go. And there wasn't seemingly on the surface a whole lot of depth to analysis from from Don Cooper here. I know he has openly disputed that in in a lot of public interviews and things, but the overall approach, it just doesn't seem like there was an incorporation of modern thought processes and modern and modern analytics to help try to develop the staff that they have at the major league level. So, um, you know, bringing in cats here I, again, I'm just I'm really excited to see what new approaches this team can take here to try to fully maximize the talent that they have and the talent that they are hopefully going to bring in to supplement this core. Yeah, and I mean, he's worked with some big names in the past as well, too. So uh, I'm I'm actually, that's the hire that I'm most excited about, Steve. It's definitely just a different look and a different approach from the pitching staff. There's, there's loads of talent here. I mean, we're talking about a bullpen that's pretty well set up right now. Um, and a starting rotation that, that has some holes, but there's a lot of potential uh, that hasn't left the south side yet. Uh, I, we're going to get into some trade talks at some point here eventually. But Steve, before we get into trade talks, uh, do you have anything else on this coaching staff before we get into some free agent talk? You know, just lightly um, on, on Miguel Cairo. Uh, topic here of him being named the bench coach. Again, this is a guy that was not on my radar and wasn't on the radar of most people. Um, you know, I think there was some discussion and some belief that maybe the Sox would try to look to uh, Joe Espada, who is without a contract from the Houston Astros. And that's a guy that actually spent time coaching the St. Louis Cardinals organization when Tony LaRusso was last manager with the Cardinals. Um, you know, there's obviously a Joe McEwing connection to LaRusso from their time together in St. Louis. But, you know, Cairo's a guy that has spent the last couple of seasons in the Yankees organization as an infield instructor. And I'm always fascinated by the idea of plucking guys from successful organizations like the Yankees. Ultimately, we don't know if Cairo's going to be a good bench coach or not. Um, but he's coming from an organization that is very progressive from an organization that is, you know, obviously 
extremely successful and and they're goal and their focus is to win the World Series every year. So it'll be nice to see what kind of ideas he's able to bring and incorporate and infuse with Tony La Russa and his overall approach here at the major league level and what kind of impact that's going to have. Before we move on, you brought up something. You're talking about guys coming in to this organization who come from well-run organizations, who've been successful in the past, who are looking for success at the major league level in these roles. Do you think there is going to be an organizational from the team level, a different tone to this white Sox team than what we saw over the last two years? And I say the last two years, basically because we've had most of our guys up for around two years now. And, and one of the, the key themes that I was getting out of white Sox Twitter during the LaRusa hire and shortly thereafter, and we're still seeing some of it, is people worried about the fun being taken away from this team. Do you think that there is going to be a different tone or even marketing approach to this team this upcoming season? You know, it's it's hard to say from, from that standpoint. I think a lot of that is really overblown in a lot of aspects. Um, I know probably the most staunch... Tony the Russo supporter on White Sox Twitter, good old Ken W.O., has pointed out frequently that Tony the Russo managed Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco. And, and let's be real about this. Ricky Henderson has probably five times as much personality and flair to him as Tim Anderson does. And that's not to say that Tim Anderson doesn't have personality, but Ricky Henderson is on an entirely different level and, and LaRusso was able to coexist with him. Now Henderson did say in a number of different interviews that he really didn't like LaRusso, but he respected him enough to where they were able to have a successful partnership together here. So um, I think there probably will be some instances where we might see you know, some of the quote unquote, you know, let the kids play and, and the fun kind of scaled back a little bit here. But I think by and large, it's just, I think it's a lot of bluster if I'm being completely honest with you. Does it matter if the team is winning? And that's my question that I want to ask everybody. Steve, I'm okay watching the White Sox win 90 plus ball games in a full season and seeing a little less fun out of Eloy Jimenez in left field. If, if that's if, if that's the takeaway to get this team over the hump is to have a little less fun, I think we're going to make up for that fun in the celebrations that we're going to have and this team's going to have. I, I think I really do agree with you that some of that stuff is overblown. I feel like it's just a... Uh, if you're mad at the Larusa hire, I feel like it's just a way, uh, just another thing that you can say to add to your argument. It hasn't been proven yet. We'll see what happens, but I really do think that some of that stuff is just a little bit overblown, just like you had said. Um, we're going to move it along here into free agent talk, Steve. There's a lot of rumors flying around right now, and I don't know if they're even rumors so much as they are White Sox, Twitter, backseat GM talk. Um, so we've seen a lot of that over the last week. And uh, granted, the people are restless, Steve. I'm sure you're restless. I'm restless. We want to see some stuff get done. We've already passed the point in last year's offseason where the White Sox had made a splash. We haven't really seen much go on in the league all too, like, at all. Um, and, and this year, uh, with the pandemic, you're going to get a virtual winter meetings. I don't expect them to be 
quite the same experience as what we're used to um, as those approach here. But free agents, let's get into them. What's the what's the biggest one on your list right now? The biggest one on my list is George Springer, plain and simple. Um, I think we all know that for much of the last decade, the White Sox have had a Dan Ryan-sized pothole in right field, uh, with the exception of you know a, a couple of decent seasons from the Carlos Quentin and you know one from Avisel Gar- Garcia and you know one from Adam Eaton. But by and large, right field has been a giant black hole for this organization until since, since you know Jermaine Die um, basically fell off a cliff in the second half of 2009. So that's an area that has to be addressed ultimately. I think Springer just fills that void so perfectly. The the only real box that he doesn't check is the fact that he doesn't hit left-handed um, because, you know, obviously this team is still pretty right-handed dominant um, at, at the plate here. But the fact of the matter is Springer has historically hammered right-handed pitching, and, and he does so at a higher rate than a lot of the free agent left-handed hitting options on the market, like Michael Brantley, Jock Peterson. So the handedness really shouldn't be overanalyze the way I think it is in a number of circumstances. Springer is an elite level defender. He's shown a capability to be able to handle center field. So if God forbid something did happen to Luis Robert, you have another option that you could plug into center field there and and you wouldn't really miss much of a beat playing in a significantly smaller ballpark than what he's accustomed to in Houston. So Springer's really that guy for me that that they need to target. And I know that there are some rumors and some speculation going on about potential trade targets. One um, such option, a guy that plays, I think, you know, eight and a half miles north of 35th and Shields uh, who might be available here. My thinking on it is is always this when trying to improve this team, I would much rather take money from the Reinsdorf family trust and prevent Jerry Reinsdorf's great, 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 great grandchild from being able to afford another yacht than I would from trading even marginal assets to acquire a player. Um, So that's why to me, just spend the money on George Springer and get the job done. So before I, before I give my thought process on this, I'm going to ask you a question. If, if you're Rick Hahn, and you're walking into Jerry Reinsdorf's office. Well, you're not. You're calling him over Zoom, and his assistant's going to get him on Zoom because, God forbid, I, I doubt Jerry can can work that. Um, <laughs> if 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 you're Rick Hahn and you're Zooming with Jerry Reinsdorf, and you're going to ask him for approval on this contract that you're giving George Springer, what are you laying down? Give me the term and dollar amount. Yeah, I think it's very simple. I would I would say um, because you're the White Sox and you unfortunately do have to pay a little bit of a tax for your organizational ineptitude over much of the last 15 years and the fact that we do have the Steve Cohen 800-pound um, gorilla in the room with the New York Mets kind of lurking in the background – 
it's five years, $125 million. You know, I'll go $25 million a year. That's going to be probably more than what a lot of other teams would offer him. But again, you're, you're the White Sox. You do have to pay a little bit more to get a player of Springer's caliber. And I think one way you, you need to position that is, look, you were willing to go twice that dollar amount for Manny Machado and twice as many years. Um, you need to look at this. You're getting a player with a track record of success, particularly in October when the at-bats and when the games matter more than ever. You have a guy that has proven time and time again he gets the job done in October. And if your goal and if your focus is to win a World Series the way you say it is, it is time to allocate the money here to fill and address this need, and George Springer will do that. He absolutely will. Uh, he's he's definitely at the top of my board as well, Steve. If if I uh, if I had to say, you know, one free agent acquisition that I would make this offseason, George Springer is definitely there. I do have some worries that a signing of that ilk would affect the White Sox' ability to address the the gaping holes that they have at the bottom of the rotation right now. Um, however, I do think that the White Sox are going to go into this season with Michael Kopech as a starter. Um, maybe he might have to work some stuff out in the minor leagues, but I feel like they've already kind of accounted him as an addition to this rotation as they go into the season. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about Dylan Cease, what he needs to do um, to get himself back on track. Uh, and then you've got some other guys that are that are hanging around there. Have we seen the last of Carlos Rodon? Uh, what you know? Can they pick somebody off the scrap heap as they have in the past um, to just kind of shore it up? You saw Gio Gonzalez. We've seen Nova in those kind of roles. Um, that would be something that I could see the White Sox doing. But I do feel that there are some premium targets on the on the pitching side too that they could go after in, in somewhat of the same fashion. Um, Steve, do you think that your proposed deal would get the job done for both Jerry and George? That's the question. I think it would for George Springer. Um, I'm just not quite sure about Jerry and about his appetite to commit a nine-figure contract during a time when we are seeing just biblical losses from owners all across Major League Baseball. I mean, just today I read an article that John Middleton in Philadelphia said, and this went unchallenged on multiple occasions, that the Phillies lost $2 billion dollars last year during as a result Ooh. of no fans being allowed the franchise value for the phillies is two billion dollars so if that number were correct that franchise is for sale so a lot of these owners are obviously pumping a lot of bullshit out there about the the level of economic downturn that has resulted from the pandemic i'm sure there may be some losses associated in there but the way Jerry has really done a great job from a business standpoint with the stadium deal, with the TV deals, I think they are the Sox are much more insulated from that versus a lot of other franchises. Um, but that's just a question that ultimately we can't really answer right now is how willing is he ultimately going to be to get the job done right now? And I think this is the winner where 
he really needs to be more proactive than any other in recent memory because this team is on the cusp of being a legitimate World Series contender. And the fact is, you know, on Wednesday, once the non-tender deadline passes, we're going to have a deluge of free agents entering the market at depressed prices. And that's just music to Jerry Reinsdorf's ears. So what you talked about earlier, Tony, with some of the holes in, in the back part of the rotation that need to be filled, I actually think that there are going to be a lot of options that are going to be available at very attractive prices for a team like the White Sox and for an owner that is as historically frugal as Jerry Reisdorf to come in and get significant value to fill those holes. Well, we've we've heard a lot of people, you know, the, the, the current debate is, do you go after Trevor Bauer? Do you go after George Springer? I personally believe there's probably money for both of them. So that that's just where I'm sitting. There There is probably money for both of them, especially if... Trevor Bauer sitting on a one-year deal or a one-year plus one option. I think you've got money to get both of them done. I, do I believe that the White Sox will ever have a free agent offseason like that? Absolutely not. I'd be fucking ecstatic. I'm not lying if they, if they would do that. Can I see them walking away with neither of these guys? Yeah, I can. And I feel like that's more of a possibility sitting here right now. Will the White Sox get Trevor Bauer or George Springer? I would put my money on no, but I do believe, just like you said, top of the board, George Springer, here he is. There is a few teams in the league right now who are as well positioned as the White Sox are to get themselves over the hump. Now, we've had this talk before, Steve. We've we've been down this road. Manny Machado is the first name that comes to mind. Were we all disappointed? Yes. Is George Springer going to be Manny Machado 2.0? Potentially. Um, I'm just waiting for the John Heyman tweet that says that the White Sox are interested in George Springer and they're they're close on something for you know somebody like the Mets to swoop in and and wind up stealing him and for us to all be heartbroken and for Johnny myself you and Buzz to go on a four hour tirade rant about how Jerry Reinsdorf sucks can't wait for that to happen but as we sit here right now that hasn't happened yet and there's one reason why I believe the White Sox should fill that right field hole before they fill any pitching. And that, number one, is the fact that you add another bat to right field, whether that is George Springer, whether that is Chris Bryant, whether that is any of the the second-tier guys that are in this conversation, you eliminate one of the most automatic outs that we saw last year, and that was Norman Mazzara. Um, and you also still have Adam Engel waiting around in the wind to uh, to fill in, uh, and depth is important. When you have an outfield of Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and George Springer, you theoretically could have the starting outfield in an AL All-Star team right there on the White Sox, on the south side of Chicago. You're talking about a lineup that is just absolutely already dangerous, you're adding another power bat, just all-around good baseball player to this lineup, it's going to be scary. Now, because you just mentioned, um, and, and this is important, if you're trying to fill out this rotation, you've already got one guy in Lucas Giolito who's now repeated success. He could sit at the top of a rotation. You've got Dallas Keuchel still sitting there as well. You've got three other spots in this rotation. One of them, obviously, is Michael Kopech's to get. He can get there um, if he returns to form and looks good. Now you're sitting there with Dylan Cease. um, Not a bad option. Dane Dunning looked good. 
So you can make it with that rotation. I think that that right field spot right now is the most important hole to fill in this entire puzzle. Um, outside of that, filling out the closer role, but we all know how I feel about Alex Calame, and uh, I'll save that one for later. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things here just to, to piggyback your tone. Um, you know, and I think an underreported or an under-discussed aspect of potentially signing George Springer is the defensive value that he would provide. Like I said, if you were able to slot him in right field with Luis Robert, your two-thirds of your outfield is going to be covered and done so at a very high level. Yep. And it's also going to then allow Luis Robert to shade more into the left field alley, which will help to limit some of the exposure to Eloy Jimenez and, and basically put him in a position where Luis Robert can basically say, you just cover the line. Everything else is mine because I know I've got Springer to my left and he can cover things in that right center field alley there. So that's right there going to improve your defense uh, significantly in the outfield. And the fact is the Sox do have a lot of fly ball pitchers. So that's one way to help improve the performance from, from a run prevention standpoint would be adding a quality defensive outfielder and, and putting them in right field, you know, and you talk a little bit about the Manny Machado situation from two winters ago, one that was just a slow death march that ultimately saw him um, go into San Diego. And I think that's very important to remember how that whole process dragged out and the fact that the Sox basically said, our plan A, B, and C for this whole winter revolves around signing Manny Machado at our price. And we're not going to do anything else. This organization right now with where they are cannot afford to do that here in this winter they need to go and they need to figure out what that date is for when they need this decision by george springer and and when they need to stop this courtship you know so whenever that is they get to that point if the deal's not done then you have to start looking at your secondary and your tertiary options whether that's chris bryant whether that's jock peterson michael brantley whomever they can't sit around waiting all winter for george springer to make a decision only for steve cohen to swoop in last minute and say okay here's a bunch of money because i want to screw jerry reisdorf because he voted against me trying to get control of this team they can't afford to see that happen here right now um this winter is really going to be in, in the roster composition and the moves that they make is going to decide are they a contender in the sense of trying to win the AL Central and maybe winning around in the postseason? Or are they trying to win the whole damn thing? Well, that brings up the question, Steve. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about this right now. If the plan right now for Rick Hahn and the White Sox this offseason is to sign George Springer at their price, and that's option one, and everything else is going to fall into place afterwards, where's your make or break point? Because if... If they don't go, if Chris Ryan hypothetically is on their radar to play left field and they've got somewhat of a deal worked out next week and George Springer's agent turns around and says, we're not making any decisions until January 1st, where are you going with this, Steve? Because there's going to be plenty of other teams that line up to trade for Chris Bryant for basically penny on the dollar to have him as a one-year rental. Do you go make that move and could you hypothetically see a situation where they go and they trade for a guy like Bryant to come into right field and George Springer's still sitting out there and the White Sox are still tied to him. I mean, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces in every single offseason, but I think that right now it's more intriguing for me is 
you know that Cubs organization wants to start to shed that payroll and shape up so that they can figure out what they're going to look like this year. I think they're going to be a little bit more aggressive than some of these other teams are on the trade market because they want to kind of set that market price. That's just my thought there. They want to get best value. They don't want to wait around for other trades to happen and further diminish the value that they'd get for a guy like you, Darvish or Chris Bryant. Um, so I think it's advantageous for them to kind of move earlier than to have any of these other teams start to fill their gaps in the free agent market. So I imagine that they're probably snooping around pretty hard if the rumors are true, that they're looking to move players. But for a guy like George Springer, you can sit back and kind of wait this one out. You don't have to move anywhere. I think no matter what, George Springer's signing somewhere. He's not a Yaziel Puig who's going to be left in the dust. He can wait around until almost spring training if he really wanted to, to get the best dollar amount. That's, you know, it, it might be more advantageous for him to do that because if you look at the the current landscape and, the, and what we've got going on right now, we don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands next year. We don't know if the season's going to start on time. There is no rush for any of these free agents, in my opinion, to sign right now until we know how this is going to shake out. Because if, say, for some reason, a vaccine is announced in, in December and it's going to be distributed and we're getting news in February that fans are going to be in stands, owners are going to open up the pocketbooks a little bit more. Might be worth him. Might be worth it for him to wait, wouldn't you think? I think for, from Springer's standpoint, it probably would be worth it to wait unless he hears that dollar figure that he's ultimately looking for. He, him and his representation, they obviously have a number in mind. And I feel that if they were presented with that option this afternoon, we would have an announcement about a signing. I don't think that that's going to happen particularly with the non-tender deadline just a couple days from now and without knowing who is going to be flooding the market. Um, I think once we have some clarity on that, I think we could start to see a little bit of action picking up here. But from my perspective, I just don't think that with where this organization is at right now and what the stated goal is and the importance of needing to maximize Every season now, because you you brought in Tony Larusa and and you've done all these things to basically say, it, it's no longer about development. It's no longer about seeing what we have. It's about trying to win the damn World Series. You got to jump the gun here. You can't wait until January for George Springer to make a decision and then be left without a dance partner at the end, like we saw in the winter of 2018, 2019. No, that I think that that's that's completely reasonable for us for from for us what i worry the most about though is the scenario that i said taking place because i don't think that rickon approaches the springer camp in, in any way shape or form with that dollar amount that says george springer you're gonna fucking sign here here it is here's all the apples that you wanted everything right here here's that deal um they're going to try and lowball. And I think that that's going to be the tone of many teams this offseason because you said it before, man, uh, the the losses that these owners are talking about have, have really put them in the position to be able to do so and say, hey, well, we don't have enough money. There's a lot of economic uncertainty. Uh, this is the best we can do right now. And I, I, I think the George Springer market, unless – like you said, somebody walks up with that full basket, completely ready for, for George Springer to sign. He's not signing until he gets the best dollar amount, and he can drive a bidding war just himself right there. Um, 
the Sox aren't the only team looking for for a right fielder. So I just I want it to happen. I just can't see it happening though. Maybe that's just negative Nani talking. Yeah, no, and, and I I fully understand where where you're coming from with that. You know, I think as we look at potential options for Springer, you know, obviously there there's the talk about the Mets. Um, you know, a team that already has some some pretty capable outfielders right now, but they are very left-handed in, in their line. They they're almost kind of the inverse of of what the Sox are, where they have a very left-hand dominant lineup here. So looking to try to add a little more balance from the right side uh, would be something that would behoove them. Um, and, you know, but the question is going to be, what, what is the Mets real target going to be? Are they going to be actively targeting Trevor Bauer and JT Real Muto, or how are they going to prioritize George Springer and all this? Um, I don't buy any of this Toronto Blue Jays stuff with, with George Springer because one, no American born free agent player wants to sign with Toronto. Let's just face the facts here. Okay. That's a less desirable option than even the White Sox are. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, there's obviously there, there's a lot of cultural issues or, you know, from, from that standpoint, there are some economic issues between the currency exchanges and premium American born free agents just don't sign with Toronto. And the other thing that nobody's taking into account here is that I really don't believe that the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Toronto to at least start the season. I think more than likely they are going to be playing in Buffalo again for the first couple months of that season. And nobody's going to want to sign a five-year free agent contract and be stuck in Buffalo. So the, the George Springer stuff just doesn't make sense to me. You know, would a team like maybe the Giants who have a lot of payroll flexibility starting next year, would they try to jump the gun a little bit um, on, on their rebuild? You know, that that's possible. And I think that's something that you got to watch out for, but I'm just not sure how robust the, the market for George Springer is ultimately going to be. But again, that's where I think it's really important for the Sox to be proactive and try to get this thing done as quickly as they possibly can. Well, let's talk a little bit about backup plans in case that doesn't happen. I know you threw out Chris Bryant um, in there. We talked a little bit about that. Um, if we have to go the trade route, Steve, and that's something that I have said uh, even dating back to my time on Shy Sox Weekly and my time here um, over the last few years, especially right after the Manny Machado thing, one thing that I've said is that at some point, Rick Hahn will need to make a trade to acquire that star player that gets this team over the hump. Whether that is during the offseason, whether that is midseason at the trade deadline, giving up some prospect capital, this team will probably come down to make or break World Series. Will Rick Hahn pull the trigger on a deal to move some prospects? Do you think if the White Sox do not wind up with George Springer, you see a deal that involves maybe not major prospects, but prospects that, that some people will get mad that were moved in order to acquire a right fielder, whether that's this offseason or at the trade deadline? Will they make an acquisition? I think it's I think it's possible. You know, I think we would really be looking more so at um, some secondary and tertiary prospects from that standpoint. I just I'm not sold that they are interested in moving the likes of Andrew Vaughn or a Michael Kopech, even though, um, you know, Kopech is a guy that I just don't think you can rely on with any level of certainty going forward, especially from a guy that 
you know, once the team reports to Glendale, he will not have thrown a competitive pitch in two and a half years. And, and in a season where I believe that they need to minimize risk and, and have as much certainty as they possibly can, I can't rely on Michael Kopak from that standpoint, but I don't, I don't see them moving either one of those two guys. So, you know, a guy is like, you know, a Jonathan Stever, um, you know, maybe even a Dane Dunning, you know, some of those types of, of players, I think we definitely could see moved if they are unable to acquire a guy like George Springer in free agency. So if they do have to go that trade avenue, I think some of those types of guys would be the guys that I would look to see moved. And, and I don't think Han would be opposed to doing it, honestly, at this point. What do you what are your thoughts on a guy like Nick Madrigal? Is he is he tradable to you? Everyone knows that I've been a very low guy on Nick Madrigal. Um I think that there are plenty of options that are that are out there that if you included him in a deal, um, there are options available on the open market that you could fill that second base position and that you would get more offensive output from them. And, you know, maybe in the long run, you would take a downturn defensively, but I, I would absolutely make that move. You know, if there was a way to include him to get a piece to fill the right field position or even a starting pitcher, um, and, and if it cost Nick Madrigal, I would not hesitate. I like that. I like that. And a lot of people are not going to like that, but I like that. No, um, no, no, no. A lot of people mad online. There's going to be a lot of people mad online after after hearing that. But I, I'm I'm just a firm believer right now, Steve, and I think we are we're very similarly aligned on the fact that there is the opportunity for this team to win the World Series in the next three years. That that's that's my window on this right now is is the next three years, and if the cost is giving up a guy like Nick Madrigal, um, I I feel like that is a fair price to pay to celebrate in the streets of Chicago a White Sox World Series victory. Um, but we're not there yet. We haven't seen any moves. It'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Steve, we've talked at nauseum about George Springer. Uh, let's let's get into some of the uh, the other options that we have here on the market. If, if we cannot get George Springer and say a trade isn't made, because like you said, you are a, more of a fan of, of just spending Jerry's money than giving up any sort of cost as far as prospects or, or talent. Who Who is your number two guy that you have uh, on your board for right field for the White Sox? Um, you know, man, I really just, I keep going back and forth on this almost, almost seemingly by the day. Um, you know, I was obviously a proponent of Jock Peterson for almost two years now. Um, you know, and then there's obviously the, the Michael Brantley piece or, or the Robbie Grossman piece of it. Um, I think if I had to pick one of those guys, I think I probably would go with Jack Peterson, to tell you the truth, um, just because I don't know that Michael Brantley can hold up for an entire season in right field. And especially knowing that Andrew Vaughn is seemingly on a fast track to join this team and be part of a first base DH platoon with Jose Abreu um, at some point, possibly relatively early on in the season here, you're not going to have that DH option available for Michael Brantley. Um, 
you know, the, the swing and miss within Peterson's game is something that is a concern, um, particularly on a team that has quite a bit of that already. And, you know, so there there is pause for that. And Peterson is obviously a strictly platoon bat. Um, you simply can't put him in a batter's box against left-handed pitching at this juncture here. So, you know, you would obviously be looking at Adam Engel to fill that role. But, you know, the fact of the matter is if you look across the landscape of the American League Central, you have very little left-handed pitching within this division right now. So, um, you know, the platoon disadvantages that would be there with Jock Peterson wouldn't be that glaring. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the, the avenue that I would go. But I think personally, um, if if they can't sign George Springer, um I honestly, at this juncture, think I would look more towards the trade avenue versus some of the free agent. And, and I know that kind of flies directly in the face of what I was saying earlier about just spending spending the money. But the free agent options that are out there within the market all have um, some significant deficiencies. And those are things that I highlighted in a piece I wrote um, a couple weeks back here. But I, I just think that with the trade options, you know, that are going to be out there like Bryant um, and, and some other potential names out there, I, I feel like at the depressed prices, you're going to get tremendous value here. And I say that now and you know, a couple of days from now at the non-tender deadline, somebody that I wasn't expecting is probably going to get non-tendered and that's probably going to change the tenor of this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot at play here, Steve. There, there's definitely a lot at play. Um, that's really all I have on the right field in the free agent situation. Uh, Steve, you want to move this conversation somewhere else? What, what else you got to talk about? There's, there's a lot going on with this team right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, from a, from a, I guess let's let's look at the starting pitching standpoint of, of this here. You know, um, we touched a little bit on on Trevor Bauer, and we kind of talked a little bit about the fact that this team does have some holes that they need to fill within the starting rotation here if they are going to be a viable playoff contender here. So, Tone, let me ask you this question: What free agent or what starting pitching targets are you most interested in this winter? As of right now, you, I mean. Trevor Bauer is definitely at the top of your list. I think he he is the guy across the league. I mean, you're talking about one of the, the most dominant pitching performances that we've seen in, in recent years is, is Trevor Bauer just last year. I mean, the guy is a pitching scientist. I think he adds incredible value to any organization. Now, that comes with a little bit of some off-the-field antics and some clubhouse antics that, to me— he is the pitching version of an A.J. Przinsky for this team. Um, he would be the type of guy that would come in and just be so polarizing that uh, the media would have a field day. He would be out there interacting with the fans. Could you imagine his interactions on White Sox Twitter if he were on the south side for a year? It would be – there would be shit that would come out of the woodworks that we wouldn't even imagine and can't even and write up right now. Like I just I, – I can't imagine – the fit that he would have within this organization just in Chicago in general. I think it would be such a good fit. Now, there's a lot of reasons why it's not going to happen, um, but I think for the simple reason, if I said that it, it that it did, I really believe that he is a piece of this rotation that would put it completely over the top. You're talking about going into a three-game playoff set or even a five-game series with Trevor Bauer, Lucas Giolito, and Dallas Keuchel. 
that is a rotation that you could put up against any other rotation in this league and probably have the advantage when it comes to pitching. Um, you talk about Kratz coming in uh, as the pitching coach. I think that those two would have lined up pretty well, but I don't even think Trevor Bauer needs a pitching coach. He is his own coach. He's the type of guy that's going to be able to look at somebody like Dylan Cease on his own and probably take him to the side like he did with Clevenger and work with him. And all of a sudden, you're talking about a reinvented Dylan Cease. Um, I, I just think that the the upside to having a guy like him within the organization with the young pitching that we have here would be phenomenal. Um, so, you know, if if for some reason that happens, I mean, I would probably be more ecstatic than if we had signed George Springer. However, I know, like you said, flies in the face of what I said, the reasons as to why the White Sox should go sign George Springer over Trevor Bauer. But I would I would be ecstatic if he were here. He's definitely my top free agent choice if you're if you're looking at pitchers. Um, you know, if you want to get into backup options, uh, like you said, we've got the non-tender deadline. But I do look at a guy like an Oda Rizzi or somebody who's been around the league a little bit, somebody who can kind of fill that that back end of the rotation role, who's been there, done that. Uh, you're going to get some solid innings out of. Might be a little bit of an injury risk, but can can be. I don't know, almost like a Rich Hill type, somebody who's who's been there, has the stuff to get the job done um, at a consistent basis when they're on, I feel like is more of the White Sox move to this. But I, I, we, we can't ask that question without throwing Trevor Bauer up there right at the top. I'll, I'll flip it right back to you. Yeah, so, you know, personally, I just, I don't see a scenario in which this team is going to be at the top of the market in the starting pitching um, arena. So I'm really just, dismissing any idea of Trevor Bauer entirely and you know that sucks to say you know obviously being in a major market like Chicago and and to not be willing to operate or, or go shopping at, at the top of the market here so you know I'm really looking at you know some of the lower tier options that that are available out there and you know, there's a couple of guys there's really three guys that I've kind of circled and that I think that this team would make sense for, for them to go after and and one would be to research to you know, kind of restart the discussions with the Texas Rangers uh, surrounding Lance Lynn. I know a lot was made about uh, the Sox pursuit of Lance Lynn at the, at the trade deadline, and a lot of people lost their minds because of the fact that they did not acquire him. Um, but I think that the Texas Rangers obviously overplayed their hand at, at the trade deadline with Lynn to the point where they are now going into his final year of his contract on what could potentially be one of the two or three worst teams in the American League, a team that needs a significant retooling. So I can envision a scenario where they don't move Lance Lynn this winter. And I think that the prices, knowing that he's going into his final year of his contract, is going to be down significantly. Um, so, you know, trading a guy like a Jonathan Stever and like a James Beard or or um, or a Michael Rodolfo type guy to get Lance Lynn, I think, makes all the sense in the world because you're going to get a veteran presence who is going to be able to go out there take the ball every fifth day, give you quality innings, and a guy that's been a really strong pitcher for the last uh, two and a half seasons in the American League. So that, that's a guy that would really help fill out and round out this rotation nicely. And you know, then you look at a couple of options here of guys that I think could really serve in swing roles, both as starters and then you know possibly shifting into the bullpen um, on an as-needed basis. There's two names that I'd look at. One has been my longtime Southpaw favorite, Alex Wood of the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, a guy that 
um, when he takes the ball, when he is healthy, and there are some some health risks associated with him, um, inning for inning, he's been one of the top left-handed pitchers in baseball for the last four to five seasons. So that's a guy that you know you could really come in there and just the quantity of innings probably wouldn't be as high, but the quality of them would definitely be up there. And again, he's, he's a guy that you can start him. You could even then shift him into the bullpen in a multi-inning role, similar to, you know, what the Cleveland Indians did with a guy like Andrew Miller a couple of years ago. I mean, if you watched this past postseason here, you saw that stuff. It still plays at, at the big league level, and he can still get hitters from both sides of the plate out at, at a high level. Um, another guy that you know, wasn't initially on my radar that that I'm looking at now, especially after the hire of Ethan Katz as, as pitching coach, is Trevor Cahill. Um, so this is a guy that has bounced around the league quite a bit here, spent the 2020 season with the San Francisco Giants, so he's got a familiarity with Katz. And if you actually go back and if you look at his stats, Cahill's K per nine jumped up to over 11 in, in the 2020 season. So something clicked in San Francisco to where he's starting to miss some bats. Now, obviously we're talking about a relatively short sample size here due to the 60 game season, but if that stuff can play up um, in maybe a four to five inning start, and then again, another guy that you could shift into the bullpen as needed. If Michael Kopech or Dylan Cease or Dane Dunning, if they assert themselves into this rotation here, now you've got options. You know, I, I've talked about this for a couple of weeks now. I really believe that if this team is going to further insulate itself and position itself for success they need to acquire not one but two starting pitching options and they need to force the likes of dylan cease michael kopech and dane dunning to earn their spots in the rotation because those are three guys that have minor league options available here we're, we're trying to win as many ball games as possible we need to give tony la Russa as many quality options as possible here to win ball games here so you got to add in my estimation two options to fill out that starting rotation there and then let the process play out and, and let la Russa and, and cats and the rest of this coaching staff determine who are going to fill those five spots in the rotation could you see any off the radar names winding up in a white Sox uniform uh one guy that's really off the radar for me, Adam Wainwright, but I don't think it's that big of a, a jump to say that uh, Adam Wainwright wouldn't come here uh, and throw maybe 70, 80 innings and uh, some spot starts for Tony La Russa to finish out his career. Um, Corey Kluber's name is also floating around there. Could you see something like that being the option that the White Sox go to? Uh, because, uh, I mean, to me, that would be so White Sox. You know, I would not be opposed to a move like that on, on a one-year deal, um, especially, I think, for a guy like Kluber, who is you know coming off of a couple of injury plague seasons, so you would definitely get him at a lower salary. You could structure an incentive-laden deal. And look, if you, if you hit on this and you've got that guy you know, somewhat close to what he was in Cleveland, obviously you're not going to get Cy Young-level Corey Kluber, but if you still get you know, Corey Kluber at 75 to 80% of what he was in Cleveland, that's a very valuable piece right there and, and a guy that can give you some quality innings. So you know, those are two names that I think would be kind of interesting and in, you know, a lot of indications are that the St. Louis Cardinals are not going to be very active when it comes to um, 
talent this winter here. So, you know, would Wayne Wright um, be open to to joining the Sox? I would think so, given his history with Tony La Russa. Um, and, and if the guy, you know, obviously wants to continue pitching, um, this probably would be a reasonable spot for him, especially when you look at the other option that he's most frequently been rumored to uh, join the Atlanta Braves. They just signed Charlie Morton a couple days ago after signing Drew Smiley. So they kind of look like they've rounded out their rotation already. So, you know, Wainwright coming here to the Sox on a, on a one-year deal, it's not that infeasible to tell you the truth. I mean, we are looking at a guy who's quickly approaching 40. However, I mean, last year, you're talking about a guy that threw 65 innings in a shortened season, um, 3.15 ERA. I, there's nothing jumping off the board here right now that tells me that, like, he's completely finished. Uh, he did have a really really kind of ugly uh, peripherals in, in 2017. And he's been a little bit what, what you would consider average, but I don't see why I wouldn't take him on a one-year deal to be your fifth starter. I mean, he, he's got the experience. He's got the pedigree. Um, I feel like he'd, he'd be another guy that could come in here and be a little bit of a, of a teacher, mentor role. Uh, he's not going to jump off the page and, and, and cause anybody to be extremely excited like nobody's going to be jumping up and down and cracking beers because we signed Adam Wainwright but if if we are trying to you know get some good value I could I could see a guy like like Wainwright um coming in here and and being a maybe a little bit better version of a Gio Gonzalez even if he's if he's at the same rate as like a Gio uh you know somebody who could fill in in a long relief role um his name pops for me for some reason um but you know there, there's a ton of options out here, Steve. I, I'm just I'm just rolling through some of these free agent names that are out there, um, and, and I want to kind of almost slip this to the bullpen um, as as we as we close this down. Obviously, um, the Alex Colome uh, is a free agent now, and we have an open gap in the, in that closer role. Now, personally for me, cocktails are for closers. I want Alex Colome back here. But there's a ton of other options on the board. Uh, you look at uh, guys with with closer experience, Ozuna, Giles, uh, who else is out here? Soria uh, spent some time with the White Sox uh, closing ball games. Brad Hand. There, there's just a plethora of names. Dave Robertson is, is also out there too. Do you see the Sox making an acquisition for a back end of the bullpen piece? Um, or is this Aaron Bummer's job right now? You know, from a lot of the things that I've heard, um, they're gonna, they're not really looking to allocate significant financial resources to filling that closer role. Um, you know, and, and this might surprise you a little bit. I, in a lot of ways, I do think that that is a mistake. You know, um, obviously being someone that looks at things from a data standpoint and and. I just think that there are certain things that obviously can't be measured. And the fact of the matter is outs 25, six and seven are three of the most challenging, or they are the three most challenging outs to get in, in the course of a baseball game. And I know a lot of analysts like to say, well, three outs in the ninth inning are the, are the same as three outs in the seventh inning from a mental standpoint. They're just not for a number of guys. 
you know, we can go back and we can look at a guy like Matt Thornton, who for a number of years with the White Sox was one of, if not the best left-handed relievers in the entire game of baseball. And then the 2011 season happens. He gets thrust into the closers role after Bobby Jenks leaves, and he couldn't handle it. There's just a lot of guys that can't handle getting those final three outs. Colome has is a guy that has proven that he's unflappable, that um, has shown that he can handle getting those outs in that spot. It's not always going to be pretty, even though if you look at the contact profile from 2020, um, he he was inducing a lot of weak contact. Now, you know, obviously, look, a flip side to that is a lot of people prefer to have a closer who is going to miss a lot of bats, and Colome is not doing that right now. But really, on the free agent market, the only other option I would look at aside from Colome, to tell you the truth, uh, would be Liam Hendricks. And I just think that that's got, you know, Philadelphia Phillies kind of written all over it. I think Joe Girardi, the way he was, you know, going to pull his hair out seemingly at the end of last year with the issues that that team was having with their bullpen. Um, I think if the Phillies are going to allocate funds anywhere this winter i think it's going to be towards liam hendrick so i just don't see that as being a reasonable option for the white Sox. and if you just look across the league here i'm not sure that the column a market is going to be as robust as as a lot of people think it's going to be so it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Sox are able to bring him back on a reasonable dollar figure, to tell you the truth. But again, just a lot of the things I'm hearing are that they don't want to allocate significant funds to the back end of the bullpen. And I just, I think that would be a mistake right now. I do as well. Um, I think it's been really important and almost therapeutic uh, to watch White Sox baseball and not feel like we're going to watch something implode in the ninth inning. Uh, there's nothing worse than watching your team give up three runs in the ninth inning to lose a ball game. That is the most frustrating thing as a fan. And we really haven't had to deal with that a lot over the last few years, have we, Steve? It's been it's been fairly consistent with this back end of the bullpen that your your eighth and ninth inning have been fairly roller coaster free. I wouldn't say roller coaster free in the sense that you're right. Alex Calame doesn't miss a lot of bats. He puts runners on base, but he does get those three outs. Um, and for as much as a, of a fan as I am of Alex Calame, I don't care if it's Alex Calame that's getting the job done. I want somebody in that bullpen at the back end who's been there and done that before. And right now, one of the things that scares me going into this year is that you have a very young bullpen. Um, you've got, uh, arguably potentially Garrett Crochet in there, Aaron Bummer. He's not young, but he's, he's not. He's not a crafty vet. He has not yet proven to anybody in this league that he can get that job done. That's not saying that he can't. And I think a lot of us have uh, have that Matt Thornton uh, experience on the back of our mind as White Sox fans. Um, Robertson wasn't exactly clean when he was brought in here to close ball games. Uh, we just haven't really had somebody shut down uh, teams at the end of ball games since what, 2005, 2006, when Bobby Jenks was at his height? It, it's been a while since we've seen ball games closed out at a consistent clip like we have very recently. I think Alex Calame has a path to return back here. I don't see the Sox really offering him anything above 7, 5, 8 mil. And I think that Alex Calame is probably going to want somewhere in the 10 to 12 range. 
they will probably have to meet in the middle of that somewhere to get a deal done. But I don't think that that the $10 million that you would have to spend to get Alex Colomay back here for the next two years or 20 mil over the next two years is bad money to be spent when we're talking about these playoff games that you talk about how important they are, how important it is to close out ball games. We saw what happened in that last game that the White Sox played of the 2020 season and how important a bullpen can be and just how quickly plans can unravel. And if you don't have all the pieces, you'll be sitting at home in October watching somebody else who does have those pieces go on to win a World Series title. I think it's very important that they do spend the money there, Steve. It's very discouraging for me to hear that uh, the rumblings are that they're they're not looking to allocate significant amount of dollars there. I think it's one of the most important positions in the game. Um, that's just me. That's my thought. That's how I view baseball. I want those last three outs because, like you said, they're the most important ones. They're the difference between walking away with a W or having a great ball game where your offense goes off and the bullpen fucking blows it. So for me, uh, that's one of my top priorities this offseason for the White Sox is making sure that they're going into this year with a solid bullpen and a solid option. I don't want to be playing who's our closer in fucking June. That's that's not a game that this team should be playing at all, especially if you're if you're talking about, hey, let's sign George Springer. I don't want that George Springer three-run shot in the second inning to go to fucking waste because Aaron Bummer or Jace Fry are having mental breakdowns on the mound in the ninth inning as we're filtering through who's going to be the closer and then have to go and give up prospects at the deadline to go acquire whoever is available. That just seems like a bad mix. If you could spend $10 million now and not have to give up, uh, you know, like you said, prospect capital uh, to, to shore up a bullpen, it, it seems like an easily avoidable problem to me. Just get it done now. Get it out of the way. Uh, when we're talking in the grand scheme of things, this isn't a $100 million contract. Jerry should be all over it. Go get the fucking thing done. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a pretty good point. And I think, you know, another aspect of, of the Colomay situation is, um, you know, what Tony La Russa is ultimately going to want here. You know, he's a guy that has historically throughout his time as a major league manager has liked having, quote unquote, certainty in, in the back end of the bullpen. You know, he had it for all those years with Dennis Eckersley in Oakland, even brought Eckersley to St. Louis with him there early on in his tenure. And then, you know, you look uh, later on his time there in uh, in the in the Gateway City when he had Jason Isringhausen on, on the back end there. So he's a guy that he likes to have one name in the back there, someone that he trusts. So that's why I don't discount the possibility of Alex Colomay coming back entirely because um, there, there is part of me that feels like Tony LaRusse could come in and say, that's a guy that I know can handle this particular spot here. Um, we, we need to get it done. And let's just be real about this. Tony LaRusso is now the second most powerful man in the White Sox organization. So if he goes to his, his buddy, and says, hey, I need Alex Colomay back here to be in the ninth inning to get those final three outs, I think it gets done. It's a very good point there, Steve. I, I wasn't really thinking about that one uh, at all, but uh, you know, you, you, you brought out the history there. He, he has always had his guy in the ninth inning. Um, it'll just be interesting. I, you know, I'm not in Tony LaRusso's mind. 
if he if he's a fan of Alex Calamay or if he, he's got another name on his list. But I think that's true to the extent of if he has somebody in mind to close ball games on the south side of Chicago, uh, the, the White Sox will probably go and get him. Uh, and, and that's that's true for uh, for many different uh, scenarios here uh, across the free agent or trade market. Um, be interesting to see what shakes out. Steve, what else you got before we close this one down? We're running really close to the end of the show here. It's been really therapeutic almost to talk about some White Sox baseball uh, in the in the ending of November here. Yeah, no, it's definitely been great to kind of reconnect here and and have a little bit longer discussion on things. You know, only only thing really, and this is kind of circling back to a point we've made a couple of times here with the non-tender deadline this coming Wednesday. I think this is the time when we're going to start to see a little bit of action and a little bit of activity. Um, I wrote recently about, you know, I think it's in the Sox's best interest at this juncture to move on from both Carlos Rodon and Ronaldo Lopez, um, non-tendering them here this coming Wednesday. I just think that both have been given ample opportunities within this organization to stake claim to a position in the rotation, and neither one has shown an ability to be able to do that. And my theme for the 2021 season is having as much certainty as you possibly can. So I can't have any level of certainty with Carlos Rodon or Reynaldo Lopez other than they're going to be inconsistent and and that's just not going to get the job done for a team whose sole focus is trying to win the fucking World Series in the next three years consistent inconsistency is lame and weak that's what we've gotten out of this episode if there's a, if there's a theme I think that that's exactly what it is Steve it's been great being back on the mic uh, as you heard at the intro of this, we do have a new sponsor, Manscaped. Uh, go to manscaped.com, get 20% off your order with code ONTAP. Uh, we are happy to have them as our sponsor. If you're doing some Christmas shopping, um, Cyber Monday is coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this later in the week, you can go get that 20% off at manscaped.com by using code ONTAP. Uh, we would be happy to... Uh, to help you out, get a little discount there on some Christmas shopping. Or if you just need one yourself, uh, go grab that over at manscaped.com. Steve, it's it's awesome talking White Sox baseball. This has me uh, just excited for, for what's going to happen this offseason. Uh, hopefully, we're not talking about some, some heartbreak. Uh, hopefully, we get to do at least one really cool episode this offseason with a, like a monster acquisition. Those are my favorite episodes that we do is when the Sox do something uh, awesome during the offseason. Uh, I, I had a, a really good time last year talking about Yasmani Grandal um, being a White Sox, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we, get the, we get the same with like a George Springer type. I think it would be even even more incredible to be talking about that in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, stay tuned with Stocks on Tap. We're going to be back shortly. Uh, as soon as the White Sox make some more movement. And even if they don't, we'll probably be back within the next two weeks with another episode talking about whatever we got to talk about here. Um, Steve, anything else before I close this one down? No, Tone, like you said, let's just hope that uh, we have to schedule an emergency podcast at some point here over the next three to four weeks to discuss some significant White Sox transactions. That's yeah. uh, that's all we can hope for right now. Yeah, uh, the, the ball's in Rick Hahn's court uh, the next time you hear from us. So, with that said, uh, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Steve's going to be dropping an article early in the week. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I'm not going to not gonna 
tease it more than that, but uh, it should be an interesting one with the discussions that have been going on around uh, Twitter.com, uh, specifically in the in the White Sox realm. But uh, Steve, great talking to you. Uh, I am going to finish this beer. We'll get this podcast up for people to listen to. Great talking to you. White Sox forever. White Sox forever.